So hello and welcome to HCI's second live webinar of 2020. My name is Lorraine Brady and I'm a Research and Development Specialist in HCI. In today's webinar, I will be discussing HICWA and Safeguarding Ireland's guidance on a human rights-based approach in health and social care services. So the aim of today's webinar is to outline the rationale for the guidance document, to discuss the legal framework for human rights, to set out the freedom principles, and to examine case studies that highlight how each freedom principle was not upheld in a residential home setting. The presentation should last approximately 20 minutes and immediately after there will be a question and answer session. However, there is a questions box in the webinar panel and if you wish to write questions in the box, please do so. I will answer any questions you have at the end of the webinar. So this slide illustrates some headlines detailing where human rights were not met in health and social care services in Ireland. Resident rights are a topical issue across all health and social care services. So I will now discuss the background to the guidance um, on a human rights-based approach in health and social care services. So the guidance document was published on the 13th of November 2019, and it was developed by HICWA and Safeguarding Ireland. It's applicable to all health and social care services throughout Ireland, including residential homes. The guidance document was developed to provide a short, practical and accessible introduction to a human rights-based approach to care and support. A human rights-based approach is a very important pillar of all health and social care, and it should run in parallel with other statutory and regulatory frameworks that residential homes are required to follow. So what are human rights? Human rights are the basic rights and freedoms that all residents should enjoy. Human rights are where residents are treated with fairness, respect, equality and dignity. It allows residents to have control over their lives and to enable them to participate in all decisions about the care and support they receive while in the residential home. Human rights legislation places a duty on the state and on health and social care providers to uphold the human rights of all residents. Treating residents with fairness, respect, quality and dignity and respecting their autonomy is required of you by law in Ireland and is also your professional obligation as a residential home provider. High level reference to human rights based approach is made in a number of the national standards that were developed by HICWA such as the national standards for residential care settings for older people in Ireland 2016 and the recently published national standards for adult safeguarding 2019. So a human rights-based approach to care and support is underpinned by a legal framework, human rights treaties which states, including Ireland, have agreed to uphold. This legal framework places a responsibility on health and social care providers at an organisational and individual practitioner level to uphold human rights of residents. We will now have a look at the relevant legislation from an Irish and an international context. Under Irish legislation, there are four key pieces of legislation that are specific to human rights. The first is the Irish Constitution and under the Constitution it sets out how Ireland is to be governed and the rights of Irish citizens. Examples of rights under the Constitution include a right to life and a right to privacy. The second key piece of legislation is the Equal Status Acts 2000-2015. Under these acts it outlines 10 grounds of discrimination and the 10 grounds of discrimination are age, civil status, disability, family status, gender, being in receipt of rent supplement, housing assistance or social welfare payments, membership of the travelling community, 
race, colour or nationality, religion and sexual orientation. The third piece of Irish legislation is the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission Act 2014. This act established the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission, who are responsible for promoting and protecting human rights and equality in Ireland. And the final key piece of Irish legislation is the Assisted Decision-Making Capacity Act 2015. And it details a statutory framework to support decision-making by residents whose capacity is in question or it may be called into question. The 2015 Act allows residents to enter into legally binding arrangements to be assisted and supported in decision-making about their personal welfare and their property and affairs. It also provides for advanced planning by residents who have capacity by way of expanded enduring powers of attorney and advanced healthcare directives. The 2015 Act establishes a statutory presumption of capacity and sets out a functional test for the assessment of a person's capacity where concern exists. In relation to international legislation, there are three key pieces of legislation. The first is the European Convention on Human Rights, and it is an international treaty that was drafted in 1950 with the aim um, to protect human rights and political freedoms in Europe. Up to 2003, any person in Ireland who felt their human rights had been breached had to seek redress in the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. In 2003, the European Convention on Human Rights Act removed that process by incorporating the main provisions of the European Convention on Human Rights and making them enforceable in Irish law, allowing these rights to be considered by Irish courts. This means that subject to certain conditions, Irish courts are obliged to interpret any law in a way that is compatible with the European Convention on Human Rights. The second key piece of legislation is the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union 2000 and it brings together the fundamental rights of everyone living in the EU. It was introduced to bring consistency and clarity to the rights established at different times and in different ways by each individual member state. So the Charter contains 54 articles on rights and freedoms under six headings, and the headings are dignity, freedoms, equality, solidarity, citizens' rights and justice. So the final piece of legislation is the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. It is an international human rights treaty of the United Nations that aims to protect the rights and dignity of people with disabilities. It was adopted in 2006 at the United Nations headquarters and was opened for signature in 2007. And it was ratified in Ireland in 2018. So this slide details the key human rights for health and social care services in the European Convention on Human Rights and United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. These rights are a right to life, prohibition of and freedom from torture or inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment, right to liberty and security, right to a fair trial and access to justice, right to respect for private and family life, right to freedom of thought, conscience, religion, expression and opinion, prohibition of discrimination and protection of property. So I will now discuss the Freda Principles with you. So the Freda Principles are an internationally recognised framework through which human rights can be considered. And Freda stands for fairness, respect, equality, dignity and autonomy. And they are the basics of good care and form part of what residential homes um, already do on a daily basis. It is useful to understand and consider each principle individually. However, it is also important to recognise that the five principles are interdependent and often overlap. 
So it's important to be aware that the FRIDA principles are essential to your residential home's day-to-day -day provision of care and support to residents. The principles must be at the core of everything your residential home does for residents. And in this slide, you can see that the FRIDA principles must be the core consideration of your residential home policies and procedures. So the first principle is fairness. And fairness is defined as ensuring that when a decision is made with the resident about their care and support, that the resident is at the centre of the decision-making process. Decisions made regarding residents need to be clear and fair, and where decisions interfere with the resident's human rights, they must be legally justified, proportionate, and taken when all other options have been exhausted. So in order for your residential home to be compliant with principle one, you must seek resident consent, and this is, can be done prior to completing a pre-admission assessment form, before entering a resident's bedroom, prior to providing care and support, before providing intimate care, prior to advanced care planning, prior to sharing residents' information with other services. And staff need to be aware that residents can withdraw their consent at any time. You must provide residents with access to and protection of their personal information. So staff are aware that residents have the right to access their personal information and that residents' information is stored securely in line with data protection requirements it's kept in a safe and secure place, and it can be accessed by the resident and or their nominated person, and that their information is retained and destroyed in line with legislation and national policy. You must also provide residents with relevant information, including um, providing residents with a residence guide, a resident charter, a residential home statement of purpose, a copy of the HICWA National Standards for Residential Care Settings, key policies and procedures such as complaints policies, safeguarding policies, um, admission policies, etc. Information on fees, resident, resident information and privacy statement, details of facilities available within the residential home, activity schedules, and details of staffing arrangements for the residential home. You must also ensure that residents are involved during individual risk assessments. And you must encourage residents to provide feedback, compliments or complaints on the, on the service provided by the residential home. So we will now look at a case study um, at how fairness was not upheld for a resident. So Christina was diagnosed with COPD and she was, wishes to be more involved in decisions regarding the care and support she receives from staff. Christina asks for information on her diagnosis. However, staff have not provided her with the relevant information she needs. Christina has many questions about COPD and she does not have access to the relevant information. As a result of this, the principle of fairness was not upheld as Christina had not been provided with the relevant information about her COPD. So the second principle is respect. And respect is defined as the objective, unbiased consideration and regard for the rights, values, beliefs and property of residents. It applies to the resident and their value system. And respect is shown through actions towards residents by staff. It is central to providing person-centred care and support within the residential home, and respect must be upheld irrespective of the resident's impairment or loss of capacity. So in order for your residential home to be compliant with principle two, respect, you must communicate with residents in a courteous manner. So staff members should introduce themselves to residents and use appropriate communication techniques so that the resident is able to understand what is being said to them. You must promote personal and social contacts for the residents. So this can be done by encouraging residents to eat their meals in the dining area, to encourage residents to socialise with other residents in the residential home, to encourage residents to maintain their social interaction with their community, 
to encourage residents to have visitors visit them in the residential home and to ensure residents have access to appropriate technology devices um, to ensure that they can stay in contact with family and friends. You must also ensure that residents' personal possessions are appropriately managed and that they have access as required. And finally, you must ensure that residents are consulted with and involved in decision-making within the residential home. So in this case study, um, we will look at how respect was not upheld. So James shares a room with another resident and he would like to keep his possessions in the room. However, there's a lack of storage space. So James's possessions are kept in a storage room down the hall from his bedroom. James cannot access his possessions whenever he wishes. And James's right to respect was not upheld as he is unable to access his personal possessions when he wanted to. So the third principle is equality. Equality is defined as residents having equal opportunities and being treated no less favourably than other residents on the grounds set out in legislation. It ensures no resident is discriminated against as a result of their status or characteristic. And equity is the recognition that some residents, due to their needs or circumstances, may require additional help and support to achieve their best possible outcomes. In order for your residential home to be compliant with principle three, equality, you must ensure that all residents receive the appropriate care and support in a non-discriminatory manner. The quality of care and support provided must be the same for all residents. You must ensure that residents have access to legal representation or advocacy services as required and ensure that the residential home promote culture of equality. And this can be done by not having blanket policies that negatively impact residents, but by ensuring that all residents can achieve the best possible outcomes regardless of their dependency levels and through thorough staff training to ensure that they are aware of how to promote um, a culture of equality. So in this case study, we will look at how equality was not upheld. So Kate likes to be able to walk down to the local shops nearby the residential home. However, the residential home has a policy in place to keep the front door locked in case residents who have cognitive impairments leave the centre unattended. Kate does not have a cognitive impairment and this blanket policy impacts on her right to liberty to leave the residential home when she wants. The fourth principle is dignity and dignity is defined as treating residents with compassion and in a manner that values them as human beings and supports their self-respect even if their wishes are not known at the time. Lack of dignity is a common theme across all services not just in residential homes. So examples of lack of dignity include malnutrition and dehydration, ignoring calls for help, unchanged bedsheets, not feeding residents properly, uh, pressure ulcers and poor personal care, to name a few. So residents may feel insecure, they may feel guilty, they may feel worthless, they may feel anger and reduced motivation as a result of lack of dignity. And staff may provide poor quality care and support to residents and they may have a, a decreased satisfaction with their work. So in order for your residential home to be compliant with principle four dignity, you must ensure that the basic needs and requirements of residents are met. So these include that they have enough food, that they have suitable clothing, and that their personal care is looked after. You must also ensure that the residents' privacy and dignity is respected at all times. So especially during the provision of intimate care, when residents are receiving visitors in the residential home, when discussing residents' personal information with them in a manner that is discreet so that the conversation cannot be overheard by other residents and visitors within the residential home. 
and staff should seek permission by knocking when entering bedrooms, bathrooms or toilets. Um, you must also ensure that residents' dignity is protected during the use of restrictive practices. So restrictive practices should not unduly compromise the dignity and quality of life of the resident. And residents must be supported to move around freely and should not be confined where not necessary. And remember, restrictive practices, when they're used, they must be proportionate. They must be the least restrictive option. And they must be applied for the shortest duration and regularly reviewed. So in this case study, we will look at how dignity was not upheld. David has severe arthritis and he needs support to get in and out of bed. However, he's often told to relax in bed and have his breakfast while he waits to be taken out. So one morning, low staffing levels in the residential home led to David not being facilitated to leave his bed for an entire day. David was told they could not get him out of the bed due to staff shortages and was provided with an incontinence pad to wear. David's dignity was compromised as a result of this due to a lack of resources within the residential home and it just didn't allow him to be able to leave his bed or to even access the toilet. So the fifth and final principle is autonomy. And autonomy is defined as the ability of a resident to direct how they live on a day-to-day -day basis according to their personal values, beliefs and preferences. Residential homes are supported and acknowledged that residents require different levels of support. You must support and develop a resident's ability to be autonomous and make decisions. And residents' autonomy may not be upheld when there is a legal basis for it not to be upheld. So in order for your residential home to be compliant with principle five, autonomy, you must support residents during the decision-making process by always assuming that residents have capacity, by supporting residents to make decisions, even if the decision they make does not seem wise to staff. You must understand and respect residents' will and preferences. So this should be discussed with the resident on admission, and it should be updated regularly as their will and preferences will not remain the same throughout their time in the residential home. You must support residents to be independent by encouraging residents to get themselves ready, allowing residents to go to the local shops in accordance with their wishes allowing residents to attend community events such as mass or bingo. So in this case study, we will look at how autonomy was not upheld. So John has some swallowing difficulties. However, he's able to have his meals in bite-sized pieces. Recently, John had an incident where he nearly choked on his meal. And staff in the residential home assessed John and determined that it would be better if his food was in puree form. Staff did not explain to John why this would not, why he would no longer be able to receive his meals in bite-sized form. And John was not happy that he was not consulted with regarding this decision. So John's right to autonomy was not upheld as he was not consulted with about his food being changed. So thank you for taking the time to attend today's webinar.